solve a difficult mathematical problem. Fufu, what is two plus two? One more. <laughs> she wasn't finished. Three is wrong. Well, I know that, but I figured that was as close as she was going to get. Hi-ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring. Most sensational, inspirational, celebrational. Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, I'm cold. It is very cold here. It's not as cold out here as it is near you, but it's not warm. Single digits Fahrenheit, Nick. Definitely not as cold out here as it is out out near you, no. The wind chill tonight was one. One. It's a very lonely number. It is a very lonely number, and it is a very cold, cold number. I'm inside. I have a jacket on. We have central heating. It's still cold. Everywhere is cold. How are you? <laughs> I. <laughs> it's the end of the work week, so I'm a bit of a space cadet, but doing all right. Has the rain let up? Uh, it, it was gone for a minute. It came back a little bit today and it'll be back for the weekend, but it's not going to be as bad as it was. I don't think. Well, I mean, everyone keeps talking about how badly we need it. I got a, I've got a bit of a, a tilted perspective on it. Cause I, I sleep better when it rains, but I also know a lot of people who've had to deal with flooding or leaks and things like that. And I don't want to make light of that particular yeah. headache. Yeah. It, it tore some havoc down in LA. Hmm. Well, their infrastructure wasn't ready for it. Yeah, California does need the water. But this is a feat of lunatic daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Facebook and Instagram, especially. Uh, I'm going to try to be more active on Instagram. And lunaticdaring.com. We can find all of our episodes, our watch list, and our bibliography. We are currently marching our way through the fifth season of The Muppet Show. We are almost done. We're going to soon be passing into the great beyond, the great beyond the Muppet show. Whatever happens next, I have no idea. Well, actually, I do. I've got a schedule. The last three years have just been like weirdly expanding and contracting. So the amount of time that we've spent on this feels a little bit like a mystery, although it probably wouldn't be that hard to go back and look at it. We could do the math, but I haven't bothered. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't really bothered. Um, I think it'll be three years this September. Hmm. Because we aired on Jim's birthday, our first episode. Mm-hmm. So it'll be three years this September. So we got a ways to go. A little bit of a sticky wicket tonight in one of our episodes. So we should probably get to it. Let's get started. So Nick, uh, I happen to know, and anyone who's listened to this show on a, any kind of regular basis knows that you're a fan of the late, great Richard Pryor. This is an open secret. Yes. One of, if not the greatest stand-up comedian of all time. And a very good storyteller, which is, I think, one of the part of the secret sauce of him being such a good stand-up comic. Controversial figure, you would say? <laughs> yeah. Star of many a bad movie. Also true. 
but also made many a bad movie a little bit better. There's he's sort of like that. Um, I can't believe I just forgot Charlton Heston's name. Every Charlton Heston movie has one line, or in the case of Planet of the Apes, he had like three lines that are just like that one line that he's going to chew the hell out of. Pryor usually has at least one moment in those movies that he just sells. Well, what if I was to tell you that Richard Pryor, who had a cameo in the Muppet movie, was supposed to guest star on an episode of The Muppet Show? You would make me sad because I know that he didn't because I definitely would have caught that beforehand. Yeah. So here's what happened. Back in 1980, way back in those days, uh, I was but a little lad. I wasn't. You, you were, you were, you were negative. You were a negative lad. Hmm. The Muppet Show booked Richard Pryor. He had made, of course, a cameo in the Muppet movie, and they got along. And he's really funny in that, selling balloons to Gonzo and Camilla. And they booked him to be on the show. Uh, he was to tape in August of 1980. In June of 1980, Richard Pryor set himself on fire, freebasing cocaine. Very famous slash infamous incident that he would be very open about in his stand-up going forward. But it was a national story. And at the time, it was a big deal that this famous comedian was doing drugs and that it had almost killed him. Needless to say, this is about six weeks before he's supposed to shoot the Muppet Show. So needless to say... Of course, I said needless to say twice, which means it's probably, I do need to say it. it was six weeks before the Muppet Show, and he decide, and he cannot do it anymore. He has to pull out of the show, which is a great sad. In his place, they had to scramble. And uh, in their scrambling, they decided on, they picked a very odd candidate to be their guest star for the episode. They had to look within their ranks. They couldn't, for some reason, they couldn't land any other big name star. So they looked within their own ranks and they took one of their writers, a guy named Chris Langham. Uh, his name should be familiar if you ever pay attention to the end credits for the last three seasons. And they made him the guest star. Chris was a British guy, the only British writer on the show. He wrote for The Goon Show. He was recommended by John Cleese to uh, write for the show. He was recommended to Henson by John Cleese. Here's the downer part, other than the Richard thing. In 2006, Chris Langham was convicted of possession of child pornography and was registered as a sex offender. Because of this, his episode is not on Disney+. Plus. I think rightfully so. I'm not complaining that it's not on Disney+, Plus, but it is not on Disney+, Plus for that very reason. Because of the, the uh, heinous acts, the sex crimes committed by the guest star. We're going to do our best tonight to talk about the episode in terms of the Muppets and the performers, and the people behind the scenes, and, and try not to, um, how to put it, try not to uh, shine too much of a light on the guest star. But I also understand if you don't want to listen to this, don't want to listen to this, skip 20 minutes into the future and listen to us talking about Wally Bogue and his uh, balloon animals. But uh, we're going to do our best to kind of tiptoe through this episode and hopefully, hopefully do it service without... Um, <laughs> no, without without offending anyone who might be sensitive to to the subject matter. So this is the Muppet Show episode number five nineteen, produced August of nineteen eighty, premiered March nineteen eighty one in the UK, January nineteen eighty one in the US. Get our cold open, and the guest star comes in, and he is. And here's here's one of the big 
problems with this, not problems. One of the big shames about this episode um, is that uh, the premise is really funny. It's a good premise, which is a messenger comes in. It's kind of a meta moment. Messenger comes in with a, with a, with a telegram from tonight's special guest star. And I'm, I'm uh, slipping on who it was supposed to be, but it's a made up guest star. And telegram says that that guest star can't join the show tonight or, or won't join the show tonight. It's not can't, it's more of a, uh, I'm not doing your crummy show telegram. And he tells this to pops and then Kermit comes in and Kermit decides, well, we don't have a guest star tonight. I guess you'll do. So the premise of the entire episode is that they knew that they were putting on a guest star that no one knew who he was. So they took advantage of that by making him a nobody and making that the joke. So he is a telegram courier who gets plucked by Kermit to be the star of the show. And that's our central premise. Again, I think, I think a fun setup. I kind of wish that it had been because you know how I get about anything that's meta. I wish it had been used on a different guest, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. Backstage. Um, Kermit's not sure to introduce the guest because he doesn't really do anything. Um, but he does uh, introduce our first opening number. And our opening number is um, Kermit and Robin singing a song called Friendship. It's a Cole Porter song. Uh, Ethel Merman and Fozzie sang it a little bit back in number 122. If you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you're ever in a mess, S-O-S. Well, if you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. It's friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgot, ours will still be hot. Um, and it, it, uh, Kermit and Robin are fishing. And while they're fishing, uh, they, they catch a fish, but the fish is friendly to them when they catch the fish, which I'm like, that's not how fishing works. They're like, hey, we got a we got a tug on the line, and they pull up a fish. And the fish is like, hi guys, and it's like, no, that's not how fishing works. Sort of a like a revisionist history sort of situation. It, it really is. It really is. And so they say, you know, there's someone down down under the water that wants to speak to you, and all the time they're singing the song "Friendship," what a perfect kinship, all this stuff. And they they jump down into the water and they find a a, a whale, a mother whale and her baby. And they sing along with the mother whale and the baby. And then suddenly they hear a noise and above them, and this is, this gets pretty dark, <laughs> pretty dark number. A whaling ship comes by and uh, everyone kind of freaks out. And so then it cuts to Robin and Kermit sitting on top of a whale, treating it like it's a boulder. That's really the mother whale. As the whalers go by, asking if they've seen any whales in this neighborhood. The whales, of course, are pigs. Because pigs equal humans. Kind of dark with the whalers. Yeah, but honestly, like after the for what it's worth thing, my my barometer is a little... Mm. It could have been a lot worse. Like the, I think if the whales weren't so happy-go-lucky, it probably would have been more upsetting. But as it stands, they're just like, this is a fun thing, which made it sort of feel more like a like an early 90s after-school special than the mid to late 90s after-school special, which featured things like staying away from drugs. They're still trying to figure out what to do with the guest star. And so they send him out 
uh, he, he, he decides he's going to do some comedy. And um, so he comes out and he's dressed as a Scotsman and he does um, some prop comedy. Before, before we get too far to that, though, there was like an interstitial backstage which featured one of my favorite dark jokes of the episode. Yeah. Oh, with There's, Melissa? Yeah, Melissa and her magnetic moose, which was just sort of an off-screen thing. There's a bit where they're talking about how it must be a useful ability, and the moose just says, not during hunting season. Not during hunting season, yeah. <laughs> hey, how'd it go, Melissa? Oh, you know, mostly wristwatches and car keys. <laughs> we'll return them later. Yeah, track's all metal, huh? Great act. Mm, not during hunting season. Which I thought was like, speaking of dark humor, beautifully done. <laughs> we have some prop humor by the guest star. I don't know if there's anything to really say about it. Uh, not not so much. So then uh, we go backstage and uh, an audience member comes backstage because he wants his watch back. He lost it to the magnetic moose. And Kermit learns that um, the magnetic moose is actually, he asked Scooter where the magnetic, magnetic moose went. Magnetic moose. It's hard to say. I'm just going to put that out there. He asked Scooter where the magnetic moose is and he says he's in the canteen. And Kermit's like, what do you mean he's in the canteen? And um, he comes running by with a bunch of pots and pans stuck to it, being chased by the Swedish chef. It's not the best Swedish chef appearance we're going to get tonight. No, not by a long shot. Not by a long shot. Um, we got our Muppet News Flash. I'll put it in here. And now for this Muppet News Flash. Stars fell on Alabama last night. <laughs> but the Weather Bureau said it was a freak storm and would never happen. And then the Muppet Newsman gets smashed by, a, a, as you guessed it, a bunch of falling stars. Not like comets and stuff, just like silvery. Michael's or Joanne's arts and craft stars. Yeah, arts and craft stars. That's exactly right. Sam comes into the guest star dressing room and uh, the guest star does a little bit of, he does a card trick using sausages. Okay. So we have our UK spot. Now, I think that if this episode had aired on Disney Plus, I believe it would have gotten a cultural content warning for this next number. Probably, but it feels weird because the fact that their dogs seems more central than any of the cultural identities that they would adopt. They still do the voices, though. They do. It's it's weird. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner that I love London. It's a pack of dogs riding in a double-decker bus singing Maybe I'm a Londoner about what it's like to be a citizen of old London town. But as they go along, other dogs pop up in the um, uh, windows of the double-decker bus, and they're from other countries. And they adapt particularly the headgear and then the accent of people from those countries, or a facsimile, facsimile of that accent. So I just think... It's not. It's a fine number. I just think that that probably would have gotten tagged if it was yeah. on Disney Plus. The guest star then comes out and displays his time travel apparatus, which doesn't go very well. Dick Statler and Waldorf don't have any nice things to say about him after that, as opposed to the usual. But yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. Um, 
Then they have what I think is the highlight of the episode. A British guy sings a song called The Ganu, which is a song that was used on Salmon Friends back in 1959. But it's a... A year ago last Thursday, I was strolling in the zoo when I met a man who thought he knew the lot. He was laying down the law about the habits of baboons and the number of quills a porcupine has got. I asked him, what's that creature there? He answered, it's a helk. I might have gone on thinking that was true. If the animal in question hadn't put that chap to shame and remarked, I ain't a helk, I'm a canoe. I'm a canoe. The nicest work of nature in the zoo. I'm a canoe. How do you do? You really ought to canoe wahoos wahoo. At the risk of upsetting you, and there's, it's entirely possible this movie slipped your notice, there's a movie from, I want to say the early 90s, called A Gnome Named Norm. I can't remember exactly what year it came out. Yeah, but I it know was it. during a, what I would guess is a dark period in Anthony Michael Hall's acting career. And I loved this movie as a child, but every time Norm was on screen, he had, he made a very big point about pronouncing all of your G's. And I just feel like the screenwriter for that saw this bit and was just like, I could do that. I could make this work. I think that was a movie that introduced me to Lowrider by war. <laughs> I've never seen, I know of the existence of the movie, but I've never seen it. It's not a good movie. It was probably one of my favorites as a kid. Though. I like the second verse of this song where he he's in like a hunting lodge or in like a living room or whatever. And now all the animal heads are on the wall and they start singing anyway. Something straight out of Evil Dead 2. It was straight out of Evil Dead 2. It was absolutely out of Evil Dead 2. But uh, I'm a Gnu. I don't know. I thought I thought the song was cute. Mm-hmm. Backstage, our guest star shows Kermit and Gonzo his owl imitation. Doesn't really go anywhere except for down, I guess. He does. Yeah. He, he ends up falling. It got half a laugh out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Then Gonzo, Gonzo though, sees this number and he's very impressed because he's seen people do owl before. He's never seen somebody do dead owl. <laughs> That's what he's excited about. Dead owl is a masterpiece, according to him. So he goes to tell the guest star about it. And through some hoopla and the guest ends up locking himself in the wardrobe. He can't get out of it, but he insists that the show must go on. And so he is uh, wheeled out onto the stage. They don't show you wheeling him out, but he's he's brought out to the stage for a song called Hawaiian Cowboy, the closing number. He starts, he's singing the song, which is this kind of nonsense yodeling song. And uh, he breaks his way out of it using like a hammer and stuff. But um, but it's just kind of a um, closing number with a silly song. But uh, what'd you think of this? The episode felt disjointed in general, even independent of knowing about any of the outside context. Yeah. So it was just sort of, uh, it never really built toward anything. It felt more like hopscotch than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but it was all right. I, I will say this. I mean, I don't want to, it's not a bad episode. No, I don't think it's a bad episode. No. It's 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 an unfortunate one now, but it's not a bad episode. It's got some good stuff, and like I said, I think the central premise is is is, and we we blew by him because we wanted to blow by him, but he's not bad in it. Mm-hmm. And the central premise is pretty funny. What if we made a nobody the guest star of the Muppet Show? Yeah, it was a good way to work the problem. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star Wally Pogue. Yeah! So. um... Wally Bogue, huh? 
So Chad, we've both written fiction. Sometimes you come across a name that just seems like someone was... Making it up. Yeah, but also you feel the hand of the author a little bit. Anyway, let's talk about Wally Bogue. Not out, he, he has nothing to do with The Wind in the Willows, although when I heard his name, that was the first place my mind went. Wally Bogue, born September 13th, 1920 in Portland, Oregon, to Evelyn and Wallace Bogue. I assume that Wally is short for Wallace. By the time he was nine, he had joined a professional dance school, and within the next 10 years, he would end up turning to comedy. He's one of, he's like many of our guests that knew from an early age that he wanted to perform. I can't actually think of many that would have just turned to it late in life, not off the top of my head. He is actually connected to one of our other Muppet guest stars. Uh, while he was performing in Starlight Roof at the London Hippodrome, he brought a 12-year-old at the time, Julie Andrews, on stage to sing the difficult aria. And that was the big break for her in her career. I remember that in her bio. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely part of that. He would perform with her again later, but we'll get to that in a minute. 1945, he signs a contract with MGM, and he starts appealing, appearing in films like Without Love and Thrill of Romance. And he's still performing reviews at this time as well. So while he's performing review in Australia, he meets Donald Novus. And Donald Novus was close with Walt Disney. He got Walt to audition Wally for the Golden Horseshoe Review. And this would be what Wally was primarily known for. Both Bogue and the Golden Horseshoe Review were in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest running, I think longest continuous performance. And Disney himself was a big fan of Bogue. He got him to voice Jose in Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. I don't know if we should try to look up a clip for that because it's probably offensive. But uh, he also... It's been a while since I've been to the Tiki Room, but probably. Yeah. Uh, He also participated in the development of the Haunted Mansion. And he had a number of small roles in different Disney films. Originally, Disney wanted Bogue to voice Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, but Disney would die from lung cancer before the audition. Bogue lost the role to Paul Winchell, and his roles in Disney films sort of dried up after that a bit. I, there there might have been a bit of nepotism going on, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Bogue wasn't in as many Disney films, but he still was attached to the theme parks. In 1971, he took the Horseshoe Review from Disneyland to Disney World, changing it from Golden to the Diamond Horseshoe Review. And he was out there for about three years before he came back to the West Coast. And he would end up retiring in 1982, around the time that he recorded this episode of The Muppet Show. In 1995, Wally was inducted into the ranks of the Disney legend. And he has his own window on Main Street in Disneyland, which I assume means something important. I'm sure a lot of my adult Disney friends would probably be mad at me for not understanding the significance of that. I think it's kind of like having a star in the Walk of Fame. Yeah. Well, he functionally retired in 82, but he would end up passing away on June 3rd, 2011, due to complications related to Alzheimer's. He was also a very big influence on another one of our guest stars, that would be Steve Martin. He, When he was still working at Disneyland, he would pay a lot of attention to what Bogue was doing, and uh, he oh, yeah. tweeted when Wally passed and said, quote, my hero, the first comedian I ever saw live, my influence, a man to whom I aspired, has passed on, Wally Boat. Yeah, that makes I mean, Steve Martin got his start at Disneyland. And I can definitely see the comparison between the two. The Muppet Show, episode 520, featuring guest star Wally Bogue, was produced between July 28th and July 31st, 1980. It would premiere in the UK January 18th of 1981, and it would make it stateside May 9th of the same year. Uh, this episode does come with a cultural content warning. Um, we'll see if you can figure out why. Uh, Just we get to our, 
Just a little bit, yeah. We get to our cold open, and Pops is interception, as he tends to be. He says hi to Wally, and says he hasn't seen him since he was a doorman at the theater in Pittsburgh. And Wally says that he doesn't remember Pops, at which point Pops is upset, but that he won't be able to return the $10 that he owes him. And Wally, like, sort of cheesing at the camera and doing the, the wiggly eyebrows thing, says, oh, you're that Pops, and gets the 10 bucks, which... It's it's a pretty clean setup. Cheesing to the camera is going to be something he does a lot. It didn't bother me in this episode as much as it has in certain other episodes. I think because he's doing enough else. He's a vaudeville guy. He's playing to the crowd. We get to our Muppet Show theme where Gonzo starts to blow his trumpet, but Kermit cuts in with his own. And I'm pretty sure we've seen Kermit do that before. I think so. I, I, I don't know if he did it this way. I know he did it one time and scared Gonzo. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember if this is the same one or not. Uh, we, we get to see the flying, zucchini, uh, the flying Zucchini Brothers and our opening number featuring Luigi, played by Dave Goals, Marco, who's played by Frank Oz, Lorenzo, who's Jerry Nelson, Giuseppe, who's Richard Hunt, and Heathcliff, who's Steve Whitmire. And it's kind of short-lived, but it... <laughs> it's funny, though. It's funny, it's short-lived, and my entire thought process when I was watching it was just trickle-down trickle down economics, because they just go up and we're waiting for it to come back. Um, but they, did, they didn't think this one through. Yeah, they just, uh, it's a human cannonball act, and they, they, they shoot the um, cannon straight up, and the guys don't come back down. Yeah. Kermit's not very pleased. I mean, he only got half of an act out of him. I, I yeah. understand him not being pleased. We go to our next bit, which features a new Muppet. I don't think I've seen this one before. No, this is new. Yeah. Uh, Probably I think one remember time this only. Actually. Yeah. Uh, we were introduced to Lottie Lemon and her singing wig, singing a song called Just Squeeze Me. Yeah. And I just wrote down Nightmare Fuel question mark because it's like it's yeah, right, it up, right up on that line. It's not quite over it. For some reason, when it was announced, my brain blocked out the part about the singing wig. Yep. And so when the wig started singing, that's when it started to gross me out. I think if either of them had had teeth, like not even necessarily sharp pointy teeth, but even like buck teeth or something like that, that probably would have been the thing that pushed it over the line. They're standing in front of like a background of ancient Greece. Yeah, I don't. It's real weird. Part of me wants to think that there's some cultural aspect that I'm just missing, but I also just think they threw random shit in there. But they only make it a couple of lines in before uh, the Zucchini brothers make their return and land on their head. What goes up? It's like a a one-two punch for our opener. You're supposed to be thankful that Lottie's getting interrupted. Yeah, I was glad when she was off screen. Yeah. The wig just looks too much like... Yeah. Uh, We get to see our guest star for the first time, uh, where Kermit announces that Wally opened the Golden Golden Horseshoe Reviews on July 17th, 1955. And they've done over 32,000 performances since then. Which, that's a lot. Yeah, you talked about that in your bio. Yeah. Wally comes out on stage and he starts, if you told me that like the more entertaining host tonight would be, or the more entertaining guest tonight would be the guy that folded balloon animals, probably would have looked <laughs> funny. Yeah. But he sells it. Like he goes really hard into it. Uh, the, the premise is that it's uh, a psychiatric practice with different balloon animals representing different states of mind, but playing with expectation, you can tell that for lack of a better way to express this, he's really good at handling the balloons, setting up expectations, moving the air around in order to have like half of it inflated, half of it deflated, and then 
a different part of it inflated. And there's no, like, there was that, I can't remember the name of that magician, but there's that guy that irritated you a season or two back because you would see the cuts, right? Yeah, Doug Henning. Yeah, you never see the cuts with Wally. Like, he's just, no. he's there 110%. He's just doing his act. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite of his three numbers. Yeah. By far. Like, I didn't care for the other two as much. Uh, this is my favorite of his, of, his, of his two numbers, of his three numbers. This was actually funny. Some of it, some of his dialogue was funny. It actually got laughs from my kids who are, you know, a little bit older than balloon animal levels, you know, but they still found it kind of funny. And uh, I liked some of his one-liners. I thought were, were kind of cute. Now, to get the message, you have a person wrap up all of these thoughts, put them all together, and you find out something more about them. I've made quite a name for myself doing this, and I don't like it. Neither. You've heard of pink elephants? Here's someone who sees pink elephants uh, looking a little like that little pink elephant right there. You're so right. Let's take his uh, trunk here now and make a little suitcase out of it. I had an uncle who used to see elephants when he was inebriated, drunk. He was a character. He was a kleptomaniac. Kleptomaniac, that's a person who finds things before you lose them. But uh, he's reformed. He only steals things now. Begin with A. A watch, A car, A purse, A wallet, A rabbit. Like, I can absolutely understand why he was such a big thing at the Disney Review for as long as he was. Yeah, you see that live. It's really, I mean, it's weird. It's balloon animals, but it's still impressive. It's still a skill. Well, he's working the crowd. And I think usually when you see, or usually when you see it represented, there is that sort of life preserver aspect of wielding the balloon animal. Like I'm holding on to this in order to keep your attention. Please pay attention. We both know that balloon animals are balloon animals, but in this guy's case, he's just like, guess what? You guys get to see balloon animals. And he sells it about partway through. He realizes that he doesn't have all the balloon animals that he wanted to have, at which point a bunch of Muppets, including Gonzo and Scooter and Fozzie and others come on stage wearing big balloon er, creations. It's like you said, this is a really solid one. This is the one that I like the most. Uh, not my favorite bit of the episode, but possibly no. my favorite from him. Uh, we then go to Miss Piggy. Oh, sorry. Kermit announces Miss Piggy and Fufu have an act, which is an answer to Lassie. And I, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw. Oh, no, no. Outside of Veterans Hospital. I can't remember the last time that I saw Rolf and Miss Piggy really interacting. But he has very little patience for her. And it just. He does. It's so he good. has less patience for Fufu, True. except at the end where they express solidarity. <laughs> yeah, my, my kids were trying to keep track of which shots were the real Fufu and which ones weren't, mm-hmm. which ones were puppets and which ones were not. There's 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 a good long shot that's not a puppet. Yeah. Where, um, where she walks up behind Piggy and she sits down and she scratches and then just sits there. That's all one take, and that's a real dog. Uh, but Miss Piggy tries to uh, walk Fufu through a number of tricks. Really just one. Yeah. And Fufu barking off time was great. Like, the setup and payoff was really solid. Of her trying to get her to do uh, arithmetic. It was a simple one, but it was a really good setup because they got Fufu. I, I have to wonder how long they just spent waiting to count the dog kept barking so many times. I was glad because... um. I feel like I feel like I've been devoid of Piggy lately. I don't know why she that gets is. Some bits and pieces, but I don't think she's been focal. And I th- feel like I've mi- been missing her. Mm-hmm. When she came on, I was like, "Oh, there's Piggy." I don't know. I've been missing her lately. And then someone will point to like you know a big number she did three episodes ago. I'm sure, but like I don't know for some reason I get this feeling I've just been missing Piggy. She didn't do much in the dance contest either. Like I don't know. 
from here we go to one of the bits that I've actually seen screenshots for for years, and I was wondering when we were going to come across the episode. I like. I feel like someone might have dubbed the Beastie Boys over this or something, which makes perfect sense. Oh, that would be dope. Um, <laughs> if, I, if you haven't, somebody get on it. But we have our UK spot, which features the Leprechaun Brothers, none of whom are necessarily Irish, but we've got the Swedish chef, Beaker, and Animal. And I think this is yep. the only time that I can remember seeing them all on stage like without being part of a larger group. It's an odd, it's an odd, uh, I was going to say coupling. It's an odd tripling. Triplet. Triplet, yeah. Not triplet. They're introduced as three gifted singers who have all kissed the Blarney Stone, which we have no reason to think isn't the case. But they sing Danny Boy. They do. Until they just sort of break down crying and seeing animal in particular just start losing it. The idea to have the three most inarticulate characters on the show sing in a trio moi <laughs> and then and then to have it be Danny boy so good this my daughter asked if this is where the cultural content warning came because they're making fun of Irish people um, and I don't think that's the case one because we're still allowed to make fun of Irish people and two there's something much more egregious later yeah but she was just, she just was fine. She was just like, is this why? Because it offends Irish people. I'm like, uh, I don't know. They don't do that for Irish people. <laughs> Plus, I don't think there's anything offensive about it. Just funny. Yeah, this is the highlight of the week. I I love and like everything about the way that the shot is set up. The fact that they're all wearing those turtlenecks and like the green. I don't think they're berets. What kind? Like with a poof on top. Caddy hats. Caddy hats, sure. But like golfer hats. It's just it. It feels like something out of the early 90s a little bit. Um, like, I would see... We, we talked about the BC Boys, but I could also see them dubbing, like, Boys to Men over this randomly and just, like, having that particular outfit ensemble. But you're right. Animal breaking down to tears is good stuff. Just screaming, Danny! Danny! It, it is nuts that, that you're you're in a, a scene where Animal is the most articulate. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. He's the most well-spoken of the bunch. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. The chef could be quite articulate. We would have no idea. Uh, we we come back to our guest star uh, with bagpipes, which raised a couple of uncomfortable questions, but we'll get to that in a second. Because the bagpipe is a Muppet uh, from his great-grandfather, which kind of house elfy, but whatever. It's dubbed a McBagbird, uh, <laughs> which Ronald McDonald might have problems with. But the <laughs> instrument is affixed with a balloon that inflates when it's played and my thought to it's that back was, after six months the mcbag bird <laughs> my 
Only but like my entire thought process, especially given that it's Muppet, was just like my note was: Did he shove balloons up that Muppet's ass? Like, what's? Because as it, soon as it, you start seeing it flating, you're like, "That's it's a you know, Muppet bagpipe." Okay, do bagpipes typically have balloons? No, I mean he had to add the balloon, and yeah, I don't know where the balloon came from. Um, they play a song called "The Girl Next Door Lived a Life of a Dog," so I called her a Rover. Well, kinda. <laughs> also, a little bit of Frere Jacques, Three Blind Mice. Um, the Muppet Orchestra comes in at the end and brings it back to old folks at home. It's it's a weird number. He's not really playing the bagpipes, right? Well, I would assume not. Um, yeah. So it's a Muppet. So he's pretending to play. So it's just the comedy bit. But like half of one, though. Like it's it's fine. Yeah. Um, I understand what you meant about him. Like his first bit probably being his most his most effective this episode. There's a, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes comedy doesn't age well because the mores and the just the standards change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we encounter that with the cultural content warnings. Sometimes comedy doesn't age well because it just ain't funny anymore. That's the experience I've had with a lot of Borscht Belt stuff, to be honest. No, well, because vaudeville's 150 years old. It's It would be hard. It's hard for it to relate to people today. You have to be really good and the material has to be really good to make it somebody laugh today with that stuff and yet yeah, sometimes it's, and it's no fault of its own sometimes it just ain't funny anymore yeah that's all and in my opinion like these guys they just aren't funny anymore it's like rich little yeah. it happens though it happens to almost every comedian kind of i mean in some cases You'll have that. Uh, I, I feel like the the better you are at sort of exploring and extricating the human condition, the longer your shelf life is. But if it's, well, yeah. if it's very topical or if it's like jokes per minute, I feel like that's going to expire faster. Steve Martin. That's Steve Martin's one of the smartest smartest standups that ever lived because he looked at it and said, "My brand of comedy is not going to age well." We go to our next number, which is not on Disney Plus, um, but the Whatnots sing the Ying Tong song. I watched it. Which has nothing to do with the thong song, even though it sounds like it might. Um, but it's uh, a very special lullaby in gibberish. Yeah, I watched it. It's written by our boy Spike Milligan for The Goon Show. That should explain things. It, uh, it was even a uh, it was even like a single in the UK. But uh, it's not on Disney+. Plus. It's fine. It's just a gibberish song. Yeah. It, it's kind of what you would expect to come out of Spike Milligan and, and The Goons. Like, it's just kind of highbrow high nonsense. I don't know why it wasn't there. All I can think of is it's got to be some kind of rights issues with the, the BBC. We, we have another departure at this point, though, because I don't think we've ever actually seen Pops's lower half. Um, um, I don't think so, no. But Wally goes and lets Pops know that he's going out for some fresh air if anyone needs him and that he can watch the door while he's, he's away. And Pops decides that he wants to go in and see the show. So let's have a talk about Dr. Salamander. Have we seen Dr. Salamander before? No. The Are we going to see Dr. Salamander again? No. We will. I doubt it. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Dr. Salamander is particularly sober, so it's fine. Uh, but the, <laughs> if you look at his eyes, they're a little... They're a little bloodshot, but Dr. Salamander is a hypnotist and also a newt. Dr. Salamander, hypnotist and newt. Decides that he wants to put someone into a trance and Pops is already asleep in the audience. Like we pan over and he's just sort of nodded off in the chair, which 
kind of explains just how often things go bad at the Muppet Show, like that episode where you had the kleptomanic, uh, kleptomaniac otters. Well, they were yes. not, they were uh, prairie dogs. If Pops was supposed to be watching, he was probably counting Z's. But he hypnotizes Pops and convinces Pops to levitate. And if we've learned anything from Gonzo on the Muppet Show, the power of positive thinking and belief can cause you to do things like lift a very heavy weight or, I guess, levitate. So Pops starts to pull a little bit of a Willy Wonka thing and he starts floating toward the ceiling because he can't hear Dr. Salamander's command to wake up because he's hard of hearing, which honestly I thought was a pretty tidy joke. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. Never never hypnotize somebody who's hard of hearing. Uh, yeah, and Pops goes flying up into the rafters, taking out lights. But how do they get him down? Uh, Sco- <laughs> Scooter knows Pops. I feel like Scooters, I, Scooters calmed down a lot in the more recent seasons, but part of me still thinks that he might be a sociopath and he knows what everyone's triggers are. He's just comfortable now? Yeah, he's just comfortable. Uh, he says slamming the door is what wakes Pops up. And so while he yeah, comes Pops back always Because Pops always wakes up when someone comes through the doors, right? Yeah, it's true. Actually, <laughs> they foreshadowed that. They've been foreshadowing it all year. Yeah, that's impressive. I didn't actually catch that. He just said yeah. it. Yeah, like that's um, the whole idea is when, when Pops Pops always wakes up when the door opens. opens. Pops crashes down to the floor at the top of the stairs and Wally makes a note about that looking like the end of an act. Although it looked to me like elder abuse because no one was going around under Pops with something soft to land on. Like of all of the Muppets on that show that probably can't take a fall. I, I did worry for his safety. Yeah. Won't somebody help that poor man? If it was me, I'd want help and I'm not nearly as old as Pops. <laughs> he was pretty high up too. It's not like he was just like, yeah, no, it wasn't high. a joke. He was, he was pretty high, but we get to Wally's closing number, uh, which features Annie Sue, who I forget is on the show sometimes. Yeah. Like they kind of see her for like her. 12 episodes and then she'll suddenly show up again. Like she's been there the entire time. They kind of abandoned her, you know? Well, there's only room for one pig on that show. And yeah, but that was the point of her. Yeah. And, and they, they like, they played up that rivalry for like two episodes and then they abandoned it. Mm-hmm. Annie comes on along with, uh, Rolf and a couple of other Muppets. Um, and they sing a song called Pecos Bill, uh, which is the name of an old tall tale character. Uh, but it's also one of Wally's more famous performances at the Disneyland shows. And it's just a weird Western. He spits water and teeth out, but. Um, spits out his te- he spits out hundreds of teeth. Yeah, I didn't. Very, very disturbing. It took me a second to realize that's what he was doing. Yeah. Well, it's because they're just like corn kernels or something, right? Yeah. Like, I was just like, okay. Th- yeah, they did sort of look like unpopped popcorn kernels. Yeah. Yeah, it's fast-paced enough for you to not notice it too much, but it didn't. It's weird. You're right. His strongest was his first one, but his first one was strong as an opener. Like that wouldn't have worked as a closer, I don't think. No, this is his big closer. I wasn't too impressed. This is this is the the number that gets us our cultural content warning because he uses a word for Native Americans that was previously the name of a National Football League team. Hmm. And uh, so he uses that word several times. So that's why. And maybe the Irish thing, but I doubt it. This was not that good to me. <laughs> I thought it was all right. Um, I don't think, like, uh, keeping in mind, of course, that we started the season before the holidays. I don't think any episodes this season have really stuck out to me as bad. Yeah. Um, this one might fall into that category of not as good, but it's still a solid episode. 
Yeah. I, I didn't mind the episode. The closing number just didn't do it for me. Yeah. It, it was during the closing number that I thought to myself, eh, sometimes shit stops being funny. <laughs> 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 that's really that's really what occurred to me while I was watching it. I was like, I bet this killed at Disneyland for 30 years, you know? That is another part of it, too, is... Um, and I bet it still kills at Disneyland. Probably not at this point. Yeah, no, I'm sure he was entertaining as hell. It just... It's just a style of humor that does, doesn't do anything for me anymore. That's all. They get to the show close, and uh, Kermit, cheapo Kermit, who doesn't pay his Yeah, staff, no way. I don't buy this for a second. Not for a second. I feel like he was probably going to have something. He was probably going to have uh, Bunsen Honeydew take care of it for him. Yep. But he offers to pay Wally's dental bill. But Wally said that he grows his teeth back quickly, because I guess he's part shark. And he just starts spitting more out at the audience, which... I'm not going to lie. I know that certain shows have splash zones. And like, if you're at front row to a comedy show, you're liable to get spit on by the comedian as they're trying to like project rest in peace, Gallagher. But if some dude spits an actual tooth at my head, that wasn't just knocked out of his mouth. Probably going to be kind of irritated. I I've got like teeth phobia. I don't know what, what phobia that is, but teeth fear of my teeth falling out. Mm -hmm. And like, I was not pleased with this whole, uh, and then he does it to Rizzo. Yeah, I was not pleased at all. Next time, don't mess with big, tiny, tall saddle. Oh boy. Speak of cultural content warnings. Uh -oh. So next time, uh, we will be doing episode number 521 with country legend Johnny Cash and episode number... 522 with drumming legend Buddy Rich. That one is awesome. The Johnny Cash one may have more than one Confederate flag in it. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. If you get a chance, if you if you think about it, or even if even if you haven't thought about it, just do it right now. Go and leave a review of the show on your podcast app of choice, which helps us out a lot. I know for a fact that there are more people that listen than there are reviews. So let's change that. Let's have more reviews than people that listen. I don't care. Just get the reviews. Not sure if that's how that works, but we do appreciate you guys for listening. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, of course at lunatic daring on Instagram, uh, until next time I have been Chad. I have been Nick. And like he said, thank you for listening. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. You know that Wally Bogue is a multi-millionaire? Oh, where'd he get his money? The Tooth Fairy! Oh! <laughs> <laughs>